I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Oh, Human beings are stronger than people think. And with great strength, you need to have great discipline. Today's guest, Kumu Michelle Manu, is a 10th degree black belt and a teacher of the Hawaiian practice Lua. She is the only woman in the past 200 years to be trained in the way that she's been trained. She's a legal professional, a grandma, and a woman warrior. Michelle, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I love your uh, picture you have there. Oh, thank you. It's my grandson's, but like four years ago, three, four years ago. Aw. Yeah. So how's your daughter feeling? Oh my gosh. She's better, right? Like sometimes we have to come to our kids' rescue. True. Yes. Always. <laughs> if they allow us. I mean, mine's 29 now, so she doesn't want any rescuing whatsoever. <laughs> so leave me alone. I got it, mom. <laughs> oh man. Well, I guess that's good, right? Like she feels like she can stand on her own two feet. Yeah. Which is good. You know, that's what we can hope for. How do we teach our kids to be able to stand on their own two feet? That's actually interesting. Oh, through adversity. I think, you know, it's called bulldozing parents where we kind of swoop in and, and fix everything. And by the time they leave the house, they don't know how to handle anything. And we're just trying to be helpful and love them a little bit different than maybe somehow we were raised, right? <laughs> by the baby boomers. <laughs> where it's like, shut up, you don't have any feelings, just do it, you know, and you have no idea what you're doing. I think we've, as parents, you know, Gen X and, and later now we've tried to be more nurturing, I think, and it can actually be harmful. That is interesting to think about because I have a four-year-old who is definitely going through some separation anxiety. And since he is my baby, there is a fine line there, right? Like I agree with the teacher that maybe I shouldn't come to all of his Friday parties because then she has to spend 45 minutes after like him crying when I leave. But at the same time, he is my baby and I still want to show him that I love him and he still wants me to come to his party. So I don't think I should just stop not coming. But yeah, where is that balance, right? Difficult. It really is. I don't envy you. <laughs> My grandsons are seven. So yeah, they, they have that too. But I think because they go between mom and dad's house, that's just normal. So they have each other too. There's there's a difference than your little little one, you know, who's alone. They At least the twins have each other no matter where Aww. they go. Yeah. <laughs> let's go back. Let's talk about baby boomer parents, right? So let's go there. I love where, the, where this conversation is going. I have parents too like that, right? How are we different than our parents? I don't know. I think because we were raised to really, I don't know if it's gender or if it's both male and female, but to not make noise, do as you're told. You're supposed to have somehow known what was expected of you. You weren't really allowed to interrupt. You really didn't have any feelings. I think the gender roles in the house were more specific than they are now. You know, the women had their role in their activities and the men had their roles and activities. And I don't know if things flowed differently. They flowed differently, but I don't know if they were better. Today, we're different because I think a lot of us have stepped into adulthood, not really knowing how we feel. 
about certain things, if we even have right to feelings, because our parents owned all of those. I think in an effort for us to know ourselves better or what we even want, or to even be able to ask ourselves the question, what do I want or how do I feel about this and still maintain our tough exterior, right? Hard as nails. We can do anything. We can research anything. We're just the generation, I think, of those that are self-sufficient and fully responsible for oneself and actually take on more than ourselves in being helpful. I think we've, I don't know if it's collective, but I see a lot of us trying to connect with ourselves and with, and genuinely, genuinely connect with those in our lives and to become better parents. Because I think if we do have that opportunity to check in with ourselves authentically, we realize we probably could have used more from our parents in preparing us in how to be good adults. And yet now we have this pervasive programming that automatically responds without us even being conscious of how we're responding. And we've ruined relationships. We've had poor professional experiences. We felt that if we just, you know, white picket fence, you just do this, this, and this, and then ta-da, you've arrived. We've never really arrived. We're never going to arrive. And I think it's just accepting our journey as we move along. But we can't do that if we're not conscious to our programming, what's running in the background without us even knowing when we're triggered by certain words, people, personalities, because come on, they're all just in different packages. Or, you know, that transports us back to being six when a situation occurred when we were younger, which we didn't know why it occurred, what we could do to fix it and how to make sure that didn't happen again. So I think we're just, I, I believe we're a more in tune, wiser uh, generation now as we're aging. Sorry to go on and on. <laughs> no, I love that. What happened to you at six? Oh, you know, well, there's lots of instances, I'm sure that all of us have, you know, where you're like, how did what is going on? It's, it feels like a very unstable, unsafe environment. And you're not sure what to do to make it worse, make it better. Or when it's over, like, how, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? But really, I think it's, it wasn't didn't have anything to do with me. I was an innocent six year old bystander. You know, it's like, I think a lot of us have those experiences where they come to mind and spirit a lot. And we wonder how we can release that and move on from that and maybe let go of holding ourselves responsible responsible for any of that? Because how could we know? I think even today, you know, at my age, if if I can look back at a situation that I don't care for, that I wish didn't happen, and maybe I've lost a friend or a work experience or something, I try to release myself from that. Because if I look back and think I wouldn't do anything differently, you wouldn't have done anything differently. So you got to let it go. It's beyond our control. I think that's another thing, you know, from our generation, we were in a lot of control. We were out, you know, until the, the streetlights came on. We were, you know, in charge of our survival. <laughs> and, and you know, they don't have that these days. These kids are, you know, we've got apps that follow our children. We know their location and the world has changed. It's not the same. So we have to adjust to that. Did you feel like you had a warrior within you as a little girl? Yes, I did. My safety, my survival was up to me. So I really didn't have, who would you call on? I mean, there's others that had amazing parents. And I know that there was the community back in the day where the, the neighbors weren't the ones molesting the children. They actually cared, right? So now we're dealing with no one's safe, you know, stranger danger. But in the past, you know, everyone were, were pretty, they were pretty good citizens for the most part. But still, I mean, when you're out there and you're riding your bike and you slam into a car, there's no one around to pick you up. You know what I mean? So that little warrior is three, you know, three years old and older starts to be developed. I think we should first really on ourselves before we go calling in our, you know, our, our group. That's hard as a kid though. Yeah, that's true. As a kid. When did you here to teach them? Right. When did you start letting the warrior out? She came out at 12. And what happened? You know, before that, because I'm the oldest of five. So it was, you know, watching all the kids at the pool and, you know, going to the grocery store on foot and, you know, little, not little, those were big things, you know, walking to and from school at five and six and seven by yourself. And it's, you know, I know everything seems farther when you're younger, but it was pretty far. (laughs) So, you know, it's that sort of self, uh, that independence that you learn and to be aware of your surroundings that happens fairly young. Today, I think we get the kids in the car and we're looking out for them and they're a little bit oblivious. So it's training them. So I try to do that with my grandsons when I'm out with them. Yeah. How can we train them? I have a code word that alerts them to danger. So if Tutu, Tutu Wahine, grandmother, if Tutu says this code word, they know to stop whatever they're doing, look around, see where the danger is and get on the other side of Tutu. And that's one way that you can have that. You can even use it in the house 
house too, if there's an issue. So it kind of, you know, calls everyone to attention and they know where to hide or they know where to go. I took them to the water last week. They had a half day. So I was so lucky. I don't get to see them very much, but I got to pick them up from school and I fed them. And then we went to the beach and the wind was very strong. And so I said, Tutu's going to call for you, but you're not going to hear me because the wind is going to pick it up. So also teaching about elementals. This is where you go. You go to the lifeguard who's still on duty, or you come to this bench and you wait for Tutu. And then I alerted my daughter where we were. If we're not home, that's where you'll find the kids if something happens to me. So it's just setting up parameters when we're out in public to make sure that we've got the bases covered and they understand the success of survival. Even though they're seven, they understand that you know, there's PCH is right there and you know the cars go 60. I don't want them crossing. They need to know, you know, it's more than just don't cross street. Wait right here is really what I said. So it went well. We didn't need to institute the emergency plan, but being prepared like that helps our children and it gives us a peace of mind too. And it sets them up to understand that when they're out and about, when they're driving their cars as teenagers or they're off at school or they're not, we can't be with them all the time that they're prepared and they're aware of their surroundings. Yeah. Also, I feel like you have a different connection to your surroundings. Seeing like nature and the environment and the tools that you've trained with in a different way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, it's been a progression for me and it may sound woo-woo, but it's not. 90% of, of our existence is in the unseen. It's energy. And I know we hear, oh, we're energy, but I mean, we are, but we are also a physical body. So let's not discard physics, right? There are clues in the Hawaiian culture. We talk about Lona, and this means messages or signs. And there are, there's always energy around us. And like, I use a good example of picking up on your environment, maybe even someone else's energetic body of say you're pumping gas and a guy walks out of, or a woman walks out of the gas station and you don't know that person. You've never seen that person before, but you automatically, even though they're not showing any physical signs, you know, they're going through something, whether it's grief or anger, or they're just upset about something. You can feel that. I think as you start to hone in on your energetic body, as well as others, you have a better understanding of your environment. It's like working. I have to be this way because, and I have to continue to develop to understand what's going on around me because I work with women that may even on their anniversaries of a rape to further release that trauma. I have to know when I'm working with them and we start increasing these movements because movement is medicine that they're being triggered and they're back in that situation and that I have to work with them and only take them so far. So it's very important for me to understand what others are feeling, not assume it, but a feeling so that I can work with them more effectively. So my environment is even though I'm on the computer, I work in the Western world, I have, you know, academia, go to the gas station, do all these things that all of us do. There's still that underlying current that we need to be aware of. And the awareness keeps us from any situations when we're out and about. It's not just our physical eyes. It's also our spiritual eyes. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, like what has opened your eyes more? I was just talking about this the other day. There's been so much turmoil as we move from the seasons, right? From this very Hina or feminine, introspective, strategic season, right? Of winter into spring now. Everything starts to awaken. People are more active. They feel more alive. Grief isn't so prevalent. Uh, It's still there. We have a lot of death. But beyond situationally, you know, we start to awaken into the energy of spring. I, I just think it's important for us to be in tune and understand that our body goes through certain situations, changes, and we we start to become more alive. And then we enter the fire season of summer. And this is the busy, busy and trying to keep up. We're depleted. We need to make sure that we have all of our biological you know, nutrition and rest and hydration. I lost my thought, but <laughs> the question was, how have your eyes been opened more? I think as I start to align with the seasons and what is and stop fighting it and being on this like Stephen Covey checklist constantly, this rat race, I'm able to honor the seasons, the energy of that. And that's the feminine. So we're coming now out of the feminine now into the coup, the masculine, where all that we were able to heal, let go, restore and plan for. Now we start to be able to move into that action energy 
of putting all of those things into place, working towards. So if you think of it like the fall and the, and the winter are more of the incubation, and now we're beginning to birth everything. I think as I started to align myself with that, I started to really come into my own and understand there are seasons for things and to be prepared for that because the way of the warrior is preparedness. But if I'm constantly fighting upstream, and sometimes we have to, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to force anything. We should just be in that great state of allowance and let things come to us while we're still working diligently. But I'm tired of breaking windows and breaking down doors. You know, I, I just want to go with the flow because maybe that's not for me. Maybe I've seen it, you know, incorrectly. That's how I've become aligned over the years. I love actually that you said breaking down doors because I say <laughs> that I've had to do that in my career. I'm actually curious about when you were a fighter and that you, when you didn't let things just flow so naturally, like you're talking about. Oh, I was horrible, actually. I, I make jokes, but it's not really a joke that my package is very deceiving because I was a horrific, can we swear on the yeah. show? A horrific asshole. I would be the one with the T-tops or the convertible down speeding, cutting people off and have like limp biscuit, biscuit blaring. Like I was just one ball of rage. I It was up until 2003 where I started to really come into who I am now. Thank goodness, because I always say, I, I don't know how I ended up here in this teacher role, this educator role, because I was just so destructive. I didn't care if I died. I didn't care who, if I took anyone with. I was just, I think it was obviously a product of my programming. Yeah, it's, I don't know how I got here. I, I would start fights with guys, multiple men for no reason. I would provoke and I didn't even know I was doing it. I was so unaware of my programming, but I used that. I feel, you know, even if we're in that place, you can take that energy once you're able to identify it and not just say, oh, that's how I am. This is who I am. That's a cop out. We have to be conscious of who we are. So using that energy, I put it towards fighting. And man, I was really good. I was very good at what I did since nine years old. When I started martial arts, I was able to take that and start really surprising my brown belt and black belt instructors. And at first when I walked and I thought, oh, it's such a girl activity because it was. <laughs> Girls really didn't do that at that time. But when I realized like 10 minutes after taking the floor, like, I don't know what they're doing. That's kind of stupid. This move, I don't understand. What are they saying in a different language? And then all of a sudden it just became natural for me to move in these ways. And so I used that. I, I tried to get quicker and 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 stronger and beat the the guys to whatever movement. And I think that kind of stuck with me. And so as I went into my extreme training with my late teacher, my goal was to survive, but it was also to outdo all of the men. But at this point, I really didn't know who I was. So now I know who I am. And now it's truly about not hurting others. It's more about protection. And not that I set out to hurt others. I never did. I always just wanted to be the best that I could be, but they were a good gauge for me. You know, I wasn't competing with them. I was competing with myself, but I, I use them as a marker. So. Do you ever knock anybody's teeth out? No, no. Break any but bones? <laughs> yes. But I had my bones broken too. So, you know, it's give and take. <laughs> We're there to make each other better. It was old school training. Can't do that now. Like I said, it's a different world. It's about, um, you know, padding and learning in comfortable environments, air conditioning and insurance, right? So it's a little bit different today. A lot different today. Yeah. Man, what bone did you get broken? I broke all my toes and fingers. I've had six diagnosed concussions. I've been actually, well, not knocked out, but unconscious several times. And I broke a nice thrust kick from one of my brothers, broke the right side of my rib cage. <laughs> And I've had a hematoma, a fractured hip from the inside. That was my own doing, running too much after after training. So I had a lot of rage. And so trying to be the best mother I could and shield her for some from some things. I used movement. Movement was my my drug of choice. And it still is. Yeah, I've had a lot of things broken. So, I, you know, if we don't have defense, we're going to suck at offense. <laughs> so you better learn how to dodge and dip and dive and release uh, a counter. That's the way you got it. And you think of that as life too, right? The things that aren't really for us evade. There's no reason to engage. But, you know, do you respond? How do you respond? Respond? How much do you respond? This is wisdom as a warrior, translating those techniques and principles to your life. Ooh, I love that wisdom. I want to know more about that because that I feel like is the biggest challenge, like it is. knowing how to stay calm when you want to engage. 
That's very hard. I authored a piece a couple years ago, Honor the Pause. And then we saw that play out on the screen with, oh gosh, uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock, right? Not honoring that pause. I think in this, and I'm not blaming our generation, but I think that we were, we're very emotional and we respond immediately. And this is also in our DNA. Some, <laughs> we know that some ethnicities are more prone to the eruption than others, right? And then there's their personality. And then of course, nurture the environment in which we grew in, kind of shapes who we are. But if there's a stimulus and we immediately jump to a response, sometimes we regret that. We ruin relationships. We wish we could take things back, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're like, I'm totally justified, you know, <laughs> but you're just going to have to deal. And you know what? Sometimes it needs to be that way, but do we need to deliver it in that way? You know, that's a question. But other times we need to honor the pause. If something stimulates us, we have that awareness like, oh crap, what is that? I hate this. Well, you're an asshole or, ooh, they didn't mean to be an asshole. I don't need to to split their throat. Like what is the most productive way to handle this? And we get to act like adults at this point, you know, and have mastery over ourselves instead of just having these emotional eruptions to everything. Cause you know, we could have like 50 a day, right? You'll know those that aren't really evolved in mastery of themselves because those are the ones that are having these eruptions. While that energy feels good. Anger is an action energy. It's how we use it, you know, but those that have no control over it are just exhausting and they have to keep renewing renewing that energy because it's short lived. I'd much rather be in a place where I get to choose. And with the skill set that I have and spreading this cultural practice and teaching women how to survive in the urban landscape and in the workplace, let's be honest, corporate America can be completely cutthroat. It's my job to exemplify that. I can't do this work and not be changed also. So I have to, and I want to, it's my desire to have control over myself so I don't misuse and engage physically and really harm someone. So for me, it's really extra. Plus I'm in the public. So they're always looking, let's be honest, you know, not everyone loves what you do. They watch very intently, but one screw up and I will be, I will be plastered all over. People be like, see, she's, she's not, yeah, I'm human. I'm not perfect, but I really do want to have control over myself. So I don't misuse. And that's a tenant of the system that I teach. You know, you must dive into who you are so that you're not misusing using what I'm teaching you because it's devastating, absolutely devastating. Let's talk about the tenants that you teach. Well, I mean, part of it is the kapu'e'ahua. So it's, well, it's like for students, the haumana. So it would be the rules of conduct, not to train with another teacher while you're training with me. After you finished a certain level of proficiency, you can move on to take it serious. It's not a gym membership. You don't get to pay and show up whenever you want. This is a cultural practice. And as kumu, that's the title. You know, I'm just the source of the information. I'm the trunk of which the branches grow. And, you know, this is thousands of years of cultural information that's been passed down, which I have been so grateful to be fed, you know, for 24 years before my teacher left the earth. And so my students must abide by rules. And in the system, it's kind of taking it back to the original study of what a warrior studied. It's not today we see just a lot of martial techniques. And to me, to not be connected with your body and your spirit when you're moving and understand these nature and animal elements in which we're moving in and understanding is just martial dance to me. It's like choreography. Anyone can know choreography, but if you don't know how your body works and those movements entirely, then you're not really working in what warriors worked in, which was many different things. They just didn't exit the hale or house every morning and go out and do martial techniques. They studied war strategy and horticulture and seafaring techniques and navigation and weaving and running and all of fishing, all of these cultural practices. And so in my system, we also practice the Lua Lomi or what some call Lomi Lomi Koa, which is the warrior massage. It's much more brutal than the Lomi Lomi and can be a lot more painful than the actual injury, but it does quickly fix and get you back on the battlefield. And so also with that hula, ancient and modern, because the movements help with superior footwork and placement to even come into your opponent to do a technique properly. So we have also the metaphysical which is the pohihihi. And this is where we get to know ourselves. We get to dive into our programming and understand, are we neutral? Great. Can we then be willing? And can then we then be accepting? And to understand that our, we're not to control everything, to let things develop while we evolve. So I have all four together now in the system and all four are required studies up until black belt. So yeah. <laughs> 
Can you talk to me about diving into your own programming and what that journey looked like? Well, we start, you know, let me pull up some curriculum here because then we can go over it specifically. So each level kind of builds on the previous level, but some of the metaphysical lessons would be act as if. So instead of like saying, oh, that would be really nice or I want that or one day I'm going to, no, it's actually sitting in it with a list of your goals, maybe even just taking one and saying, I want to repair this relationship or I want to earn my PhD or I want to just finish organizing my garage. Let's take that one. I want to organize my garage. Okay, three deep breaths, close your eyes. Think about how your garage looks. Think about how it feels as you walk around your newly organized garage and maybe cleared out and or just completely the way you want it. And think about how that feels. And that feels really good. You can see it already in your mind's eye and it's done. Now, if we took that for everything in our lives, we'd already have that energy propelling us to know what it feels like instead of this super far out goal that we can't reach. You know, another one is anger. You know, how do we deal with that? What are our triggers? The awakened brain. What does that mean? How do we get that other part of our brain that's not active to work? Choosing peace, completion versus closure. This is a big thing because we may not have closure. That individual with a situation that we experience may no longer be here on earth. How do we find completion in that? release ourselves and move forward. So it stops coming up. And we also store emotions in our body and it causes issues, emotional triggers, energies, balancing those when we know that we're not in our intellect so much and we're in more feely intuition or we're more in our you know intellect and just this is how it is checky 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 and you're not checking in about how that feels so mastering those two getting intellect and intuition to actually be equal like okay i want to meet with rena everything appears correct i love her show i love this i love her her guests i love everything she does but it doesn't feel right why does it not feel right maybe engage in more conversation or oh my you know, this is amazing. Like she's remarkable. Oh my God. Oh, but she has, she has some questionable guests. I don't really agree with the title of her show. I don't want to be another guest with, you know, the porno director. Do you see what I'm saying? So having these two kind of match, and this is huge for us as women in corporate America, like everything looks great in that employment contract, but something doesn't feel right about your supervisor. You've had one interaction or two interactions with him or her, and something doesn't feel right. Do you leave your job where you're making $25,000, $100,000 less for this opportunity because we've been told we have to move up? But this is this really a move up because it just doesn't feel right. And then you can go and talk to everyone else about it, but it doesn't really matter what they say because it's ultimately up to you. So that self-reliance, again, that we talked about, fear of attention is another one that we study. We don't realize that we actually have this fear of success because it changes things. So we keep ourselves small, safe, concealed in the shadows and move quietly. And as we should, right? Because not everyone should know our plans. But how do we get over this, especially as women, fear of attention? This is a huge thing because even those closest to us in our inner inner circle, they may not like how things change in our relationship. It may, and things, nothing have really has really tangibly changed, but maybe you're highlighting an aspect of themselves, which they're, they don't yet have the courage to step out and do what you're doing. So it ruins relationships. And so we, we have this fear of attention and fear of success. We go over this because we can't evolve and not change. And when we change, we change everything around us. We become better and it's our right to become better and not keep ourselves small and quiet and in the shadows because it will make other people uncomfortable. So grief and attachment is a big, big thing. I once did a a list and I shared it uh, with my students, good and bad, starting from birth, your first memory. It was shocking to my subconscious. I didn't realize that I was holding all of these memories and associated emotions with it. So yeah, a lot of tears, a lot of happiness, a lot of shock, and even with with my students. And it's about transparency too. being able to welcome who you are at this moment and not expect anything else from anyone else in response. You know, that's the thing. I think a lot of people, some of my friends and previous friends, you know, something happens to them, they call, they want the same emotional response that they're having to a situation. I can no longer do that. (laughs) I can no longer trauma match. It doesn't work for me. Like you 
is a current event. You'll get over it in five years. Maybe you'll talk about it as a talking point, but it won't be so devastating an emotion. And I think we work through that. The What is attachment? What is non-attachment and what is detachment? So, you know, we're told to clear our minds, be nothing, become nothing, think about and nothing. I don't think that really helps. I think a too much attachment, which we're human and we're going to have is natural, but how much? I think non-attachment is a good place to be where we get to interact with the world. We get to love and appreciate the experiences and the people in our life. But at a certain point, we have to try to let go and let go of even love. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's really the only place we can find peace and continue to do the work that we've been called to do. Have you had to let go of love? Yeah, let it go and not attach to it. And then we actually find that we can love more. It's really, it really highlights our world of romantic love too, right? And attachment to stuff. We go on this conquest of acquiring something, we get it. And then that luster and that allure wears off and we're like, oh, I'm kind of used to that now. So that's attachment. That's It's placing an importance on a thing or a person or an achievement, a title, when really it's about you. It's not acquiring external things. It's about internal cultivation of that because we all know people at work that they are their titles. That's all they have. They are their corner office. And I've watched executives be terminated and then they don't know who they are. There was a a really a champion, an MMA champion, and she lost a fight. And as she came to downstairs with the doctor and she realized what had happened, she said, this is all I am. This is all I do. Who am I? Yet we had young girls dressing up as her for Halloween. And so that sort of disassociation with oneself and being only that title or that thing, that's very dangerous. What we do, what we say comes out of who we are, our essence. And if we don't connect with that, then we're just really living in the physical external world. We don't really know who we are. That's That's uh, powerful. (laughs) Very. Yeah. So we're able to accept who we are. And and really then anything that comes to us, it really is, we're just Teflon. We're like, "Mm, that sucks. One shoulder shrug next. How do I handle that? And I think that's when we've really stepped into who we are is to not be rattled, to be bulletproof in that sense of not being, I call it the ragdoll syndrome, you know, where one little thing can just in the boom, boom, here you are. You're just like, and you feel it. You know, we feel that all the time, right? We do. We feel like a ragdoll at the mercy. And sometimes things explode. They do. They just, it doesn't help when we lose our shit too. We got to keep it together. You know, our finances, something came up. Your child is sick. There's this situation at work. The car broke down. There's, I mean, I sound now like a country, a country song, you know what I mean? And it's just the way it goes, you know, and we can't control it. So the key is to actually sit in that and say, wow, I hate this. This sucks. This is not easy. This is probably going to be, how long is this going to last? And you start to internalize and say, what did I do to cause this? Yeah. Look at how you contributed, but also it's about moving forward and keeping our eyes on, you know, relieving the situation. Sometimes a lot of affirmations and movement will help you through that. Do you believe in God? Not necessarily. I believe in source. So there is, I'm not an atheist. Obviously I know, and I work with my Kapuna, which would be my ancestors all the time. And, you know, it's listening to the voice that has no words. It's the way we're led. But I don't, I'm above all the popular religions. It goes into that. My students, they, they, they range from staunch atheists to, you know, devout Christian and everything in between. And, you know, we, we're all able to get along and understand the underlying message without having, and they can go ahead and sign Jesus or, you know, any other deity that they wish. I'm not disrespect. Yes, Jesus walk the earth. I'd not, this is not a religious cult. (laughs) We're here to learn how to be a warrior. So these are just principles we talk about, whether you connect to nature as being your ultimate God or a power above that, or, you know, any type of other God that is worshiped today in this world. Um, I don't, yeah. So I do, but it's, I don't necessarily call him or her a name. That makes sense. Okay, cool. I was just wondering if you thought that what happens here physically is tied to something spiritually. Mm -hmm. I do. I actually believe too that weather is caused by our collective level of consciousness. 
I don't think they're acts of God. I think they're acts of us. I think that we're also, we have more power than we believe. I think that we're the ancestors obviously now in training, but we're, we're here for a purpose. I do believe that we are given. And you know how I, I believe that is that why in the heck have I been given this skill set? And I, I realized I was praying against myself about three weeks ago. You know, I, I think I reached the Western way of, you know, balance and, and, and harmony and forgiveness. No, I don't, I can't have that when I'm the only woman standing in this space publicly to destigmify the female warrior. I need all of that. If someone challenges me, I can't be loving, balanced and forgiving. I need to match. And, and that's the thing. I think we've lost this with the turn the other cheek principle. There is a principle in the Hawaiian culture named huku, and that means reflection. So if you're coming to me and you're challenging me, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm not going to be kumbaya and Pollyanna. I don't need to be balanced and less anger and forgiving at that moment. I need that. And that I, I have this for a reason. And I think that brings me to why do I have this tremendous skill set? Why do I have this knowledge that I can't explain that I have? Why has my life journey taken me through these less than and also desirable experiences? Because it has led me here to stand in this place. And so I know without a doubt what my purpose is. I, it's not for the Kardashians to define that for me. It's not for the car I drive to define that for me. It's for my life to show that. And I think that's why I know that I have this purpose and I'm undeterred. And I use, I use anger. I use injustice. I use the unfairness uh, that is shown still to women in this world to develop programs like the weaponized woman or she superhero experience, gimmicky, but it works because we identify with Marvel and, you know, DC and all of us are superheroes in our own way. It's just not allowing the world to tell us that we're diminished, that we don't have this power. You know, there was that movie Glass. There was a scene in there where the psychiatrist was trying to tell them that they're normal and they started to believe it and they started to lose their power. What if we actually believed that we had these powers and moved towards them and developed them, sought out mentors? Maybe we'd just awaken what's our, just dormant or unknown to us. So what we believe is extremely powerful, extremely powerful. A thought is a thing. It creates things. In the Hawaiian culture, we have, you know, a word, the word uttered takes flight, but I would even rewind that a little more. A thought, thought takes flight, but we believe is extremely powerful. How have you sought out mentors? I mean, you got to train with a very special yeah. teacher. Yeah. Actually didn't have any. I was sequestered during my training. I wasn't allowed to really even talk to any others outside of our group. So it wasn't until about five or six years ago where an elder in the same art, but different lineage contacted me and we started talking and my teacher told me not to, and I defied I still started to cultivate that relationship and then was introduced to another master and elder of the same art, but in a different lineage. Then I came across a book that's Daughters of Haumea, which was the ancient rules of the women of Hawaii. And through another book that was gifted to me, and I reached out to the author who's now 83 and a fireball. She is probably the most fiery of all the elders. <laughs> And rightfully so. She's done research to impact the culture uh, with her knowledge for 50 years. So she stands her ground and she's, you know, rightfully so. It was when I spoke with her where it changed everything because I didn't understand why I had these tendencies, why I felt so strongly about certain things and I had nothing to back it up. And her work just exposed it all. And we're still coming into knowledge of other ways that women were warriors and the culture that has been buried, burned, put on the back burner, destroyed, withheld, concealed, even within the museum. And so this helps me to learn more and more, but I really don't seek out mentors. I've, I've been blessed to just kind of stumble across them along my way. The only one I sought out was really my Lualomi teacher who's since last left us too last Thanksgiving on increased knowledge of the warrior massage so that I could pass that to my students. And there's really not many practitioners in the world. In fact, I don't really know of any others now. So it's an honor to continue his work. But I think if I feel lacking in any way, whether it's, you know, the Western corporate going for two more certifications in data privacy officer duties. Yeah, I'll seek out mentors there and teachers. But as far as the culture, it's really hard because everything has been verbal transmission for the most part. And so and kept within family lines or lineages. So we work with what we have right now. 
and we have a lot. So it's kind of exciting. <laughs> what does lineage mean to you? Lineage is extremely important. It's keeping the integrity or the of the information that's been passed down generation to generation. So not mixing those. If you know more than one, to keep them separate and talk and give honor to each one. And they're their own separate lines. And you know, with me, it can be controversial because I can take what my teacher took. He evolved what his family gave him to make it more viable for today's violence as well as we're not a sport art, but for survival. And now I've been able to do the same and I will continue to do the same to help us make it through this world that we live in. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about your skill set Cause I know you were in the middle of talking about a couple more oh, mm. tenants of that. So legacy, right? Like this is, this is your mission. Yeah. And it's to empower more and more women because they have in over 200 years have had less access and also the mahu as well the same sex they've had less access to learn lua you know and it's not anyone's fault it's just the way it worked with hawaii becoming a state and the overthrow of the kingdom everything became very masculine right so anything feminine in any way even women training in lua i feel like it made the men feel that it lessened the potency of lua that's the name well the modern name of the warrior art that was used from the beginning of our people up through the king. Uh, he united the islands using using the art and battle tactics. I think that now we need to realize that the feminine is not inferior. It's ferocious. It's not less than. It is actually very vicious when used. It's for protection. And when people were off in battle, which women also joined in battle in specific roles, let's, let's just call it how it is. A lot of the world was matriarchal and the women owned the land and the men worked the land. The women were usually there steadfast. They weren't housewives. They actually governed the land while the men went out. So the children actually took the matriarchal name, the mother's name, because that was more stable. And so it was like this in, in ancient Hawaii as well. And I think when we switched to the Western way, the women were written about by non-Hawaiians with the same, how would you say, value or lack of value as the visitors brought. Anything that was feminine was looked down upon. Even our Hawaiian men, unfortunately, my father's era had to wear their hair a certain way, wear a certain type of pants or jeans, fold them a certain way, certain shoes, just to be treated with a little bit of respect. The last thing our men wanted to be in the 60s and 70s was Hawaiian. So a lot left. And like my father denounced his, his culture and left and went to the continent, the mainland specifically. I know mainland would be like US and continent is all of the northern continent. That's how we kind of talk about it. So I think my job now is to really allow for the training and use my skill set, which is uh, I was trained as one of the men. And I, at this stage, I'm probably in my prime and will start declining eventually. I am extremely proficient in all weapons, not just one, which you'll tend to see in our culture or lineage or family lineage may only know one, or they may be experts in empty handed techniques, hand to hand. My teacher evolved all of the weaponry techniques. So I'm able to teach that today, which really honored to be able to do that. And then hand to hand, my favorite weapon are my hands. They are truly, those are with me all the time. And I'm just to manipulate someone small or large is, is just physics. It's not genitalia. It's not size. And I think as practitioners, we step into that and look at their volunteering their body to me to be able to work these. It's a huge honor because it only makes me better. Using my skill set now in my prime is, is very important because one day I won't be. And I, I'm trying to raise up more teachers now that are responsible, that won't mislead, that won't misuse, and that will keep the integrity of the information. And also they evolve it too in the future. And that way we keep this cultural practice of the warrior alive. That's incredible, truly. I am curious, did you ever talk to your dad about renouncing? No, actually, he died very young. I'm actually older than my father now. I've surpassed him. So yeah, it was not congruent with his life. Very brilliant. Genius level helped create one of the first computers and program some of the first satellites. I mean, you, something you wouldn't normally think would come out of the islands. He had this gift, but he passed from liver cancer very young. So I never really had the, the chance to ask him. I don't know if he'd actually talk because, you know, the baby boomers are very vaultish. <laughs> 
they don't really, they're not in touch with their emotions either. But it was definitely a huge weight for him to carry throughout his life. You can see where he, he didn't know how to master his energies. And I think that's why I'm exactly like him in this way, but only better because I think I'm a female. I think that I've saw, I watched him live and his self-destruction, even though it was extremely successful in the workplace, I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to turn out like him. I have his workaholism though. <laughs> That I acknowledge. <laughs> was there anyone in your family that you were able to dig deeper with about that? No, and I never will. So this is where my my completion is comes, you know, in place of closure. And sometimes I have to check myself. Sometimes I have to say, why is this important that I teach this cultural practice? Is this really my purpose? Am I just trying to undo the drama and trauma and devastation that my father created? Is that for me to try to fix? But it. I'm still working through all of that because I need to know that this is really what I should be doing. But when I, I try to look for affirmations in my students and those that I teach about how this training is increasing the knowledge and awareness of themselves and helping helping them create a, a choose, actually choose a better way to live and to use their energy, their mana for their gain instead of their destruction. When I see that happening, then I know I'm exactly where I should be. So no, I don't think I'll ever have closure on that. But completion is, has been really helpful for me. When do you feel like a warrior now? All the time. I think that's the problem with some of us. We think, you know, we just check in and we have this hat on and we check in here and we have this hat. When you take your rank off, off the floor, I don't become this sheepish, timid, wahine, female. I, I operate in this at all times and I'm not overbearing. And I think that's the thing, knowing that there's this balance and we need men and we have that energy within us, I'm able to freely move about and enrich everyone's lives, including myself. So it's not this overpowering, raise my sword, threaten everyone all the time, not at all. And sometimes our power is actually staying quiet and working behind the scenes. So it's about that wisdom again, you know, but I'm never not in my warrior self. I may be in my alter ego. <laughs> I may look, you know, unassuming, but she's always there, always. I love the line that females are ferocious. I wrote that oh, down. Yeah. That is- Oh yeah, vicious. Cool. Yes. What are some of your other favorite affirmations? You know, I think we have this wrong idea about being like very unhealthy feminists. That's not really what strong woman is. You know, I think we have unhealthy women around us all the time that still use their sexuality, that still sleep their way to the top, that fabricate, that are so empty and vacant and bankrupt inside that they feel that this is the only way that they can survive. And maybe they have turned into a, you know, a man that actually bullied them that they had to endure. And now every woman has to endure it because she had to endure I think as we step into the feminine, the true feminine, the healthy feminine, that we realize we don't have to punish others for what we've gone through too, and that we can step in our power and what's for us is us and no one can really take that. Are there messages that help you? Are there affirmations mm -hmm. that you start your day with or that you think about throughout your day to remind yourself that you're a warrior? I usually do a lot of my work at night when everyone's asleep <laughs> because there's less less of, uh, you know, this on and less energetic beings awake. I'm really big on I am affirmations. I don't pray for anything. It's as if it's already occurred. So mm -hmm. I'm actually on the, the device that has it. I would read you some of it. But it's also knowing your own power, right? That you're working towards things and just clearing your space, right? When we're working towards something, when something great is happening, it is just physics, not God physics, that there's going to be an equal and opposite force of resistance that's going to come your way and to expect that not everything will go smoothly. And it won't show up in actually the, the direct situation. It might be where it's affecting one of your family members. So it pulls you off your focus. Not to say that you don't for a little bit, but make sure to return. These affirmations are really important for me because there's always so much going on that little fires, right? You have to choose and be wise to remind myself who I am, why I'm here that I, my body is uh, restoring to its native state of balance, harmony, order, and peace to speak to our cellular level of healing and not relying on the doctor and the magical pill. My goal is to never go to the doctor, but I do. <laughs> but, you know, it's those sort of things to take care of our different bodies, right? Our financial body, our academic body, our spiritual. We only hear about mind, body, spirit, but we exist in so many other ways in this world. And then also to know like, Ooh, what am I feeling? We can't deny that the moon affects us. It pulls on the water within our body or we're having an eclipse tonight. 
right. How is that going to affect us? It does. So you can't just say it doesn't. But also knowing that why I feel this way, is it me? Is it my surroundings? of those that you know inhabit it or is it the planet or is it completely the collective knowing maybe you're picking up on something right there relieves us of like my niece she's been a cutter for a while she feels a lot and some of us do or what is that hsp high sensitive person <laughs> some of us are sighted there are these psychic gifts that you know i hate to say psychic because there's such a, a derogatory uh, meaning on that but you know there's these metaphysical gifts if you will these unseen gifts that some of us are gifted with and we don't know what they really are how deep it goes. Can they be developed? Maybe we don't want them. My niece has always been a high sensitive person at a young age started cutting because she didn't understand that maybe it wasn't her. She was feeling something maybe in one of those levels. I think she's graduated, evolved into knowing the difference now, I sure hope, but some of us don't know that there's a difference. And so once we get to, I sit in that and breathe through it and identify like, I'm fine. My life is fine. I've got, I'm under control. I know I need to work on this. My, my relationships are fine, but we should also not be okay only when all of our relationships are okay. We still need to be at peace and anchored, right? But to identify which one that is really helps us understand, you know, what really is going on in our life. And so I pray for that too. Sometimes I forget. I, I pray for guidance for entities, energetic signatures, and energies, period, that are in my space that are not here to support. I ask for those to be removed or I remove them myself. It depends on the verbiage that you wish to use. But that's very important. A lot of us walk around unshielded. And so everything, bing, 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 you're getting hit all day long. And you're like, oh, you know, like, what is that? It's not even mine. It's that person. So I think shielding is extremely important saying you're sovereign over your space. And it's really not that much. You just extend your arm out and that's pretty much your bubble. And it's a deflector so that you're able to go through your day and focus and do what you need to do. Because, you know, if we feel all of this, it starts affecting us. Our digestive shuts down. We get stomach aches. We get headaches. We don't feel well. And that's not fair. You know, we should be able to enjoy and take control and command over our, our moment from moment to moment in our space. So there's a lot that are my affirmations go from the unseen into the scene. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was, oh, sure. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I think, I mean, I have two teenagers and these years are extremely challenging and I, I actually wanted to ask about that. Like, how do we teach our children to shield themselves and to not be people pleasers and to to be okay it's, with who they are? You know, I think the real wisdom, and I talked about the hats, but it is entering certain environments and having to be a certain, you, we, like you and I can't go into a certain meeting and just be ourselves. We have to be very wise about how much we show, what we wear, what we say, how we say it. And Oof. we have to blend in this world and our kids need to, to they need to do that as well. So it's not that we're not being untrue to ourselves. We're being wise in which we navigate and move throughout the world. You know, for the teenagers, their teachers, the rules, the school rules, those govern them. And, you know, it's like my sister always said, who's she's brilliant. And she always said, you know, it's not really how I feel about this topic. My thesis needs to be what my professor wants to see, what my thesis advisor wants to see. Does this fall in line with the university in which I am actually seeking the degree? So you can't write about Satan in a, in a Christian university. Oh my God. You know what I mean? I mean, not favorably anyway. You can write about him being the bad guy because, you know, we're in America. We've got to have a boogeyman, right? So, you know, it's these sort of things teaching our children how to shift, right? And, and not take things personally and understand the bigger picture and how they fit into that. So the macro to the micro, you know, having those beautiful, connective, transparent discussions at home about that sucks. I totally agree with you, but this is how you navigate through it because you have to watch for collateral damage because this is the world we live in. This is the only way I've survived. That is so good. That's really good. That's true. And, and I actually love those conversations at home. <laughs> yeah, aren't they amazing? Because you know, they know you'll never steer them wrong. And, and that just develops this beautiful relationship with your children as teenagers, as they grow up, then, you know, it's so sad, you know, when they leave us, it's like our role of parent and guardian and protector now shifts into like, you're still that. But as they get older, like my daughter 29, she, I don't need to do any of that. Now I'm an advisor if she asks, but I'm more of a friend. 
you know, and now I'm always mom, but our relationship shifts as she ages, you know, it's really fascinating to watch. And do I wish I could go back? Not at all. I mean, what I did, I did. I wasn't the best mom. I tried, but I working a lot of jobs and a divorce and, you know, those things happen. And we just, and, and of course, you know, evolving, I started my metaphysical studies with a mentor, an amazing mentor who also left during COVID in 2003. So had I not started that 20 years ago, literally, I wouldn't be who I am right now. No amount of martial techniques, no amount of running on the cliffs, no amount of working out at the gym, that would have never evolved me. I would still be that rageaholic and concealing it from my daughter, right? And pouring it into other, using, transmuting that energy and moving into something else productive. I wouldn't be who I am without the metaphysical training. So I think if you could get them to continue to dive into who they are, find their gifts, connect with you, transition as they transition, then you're doing everything possible and more. I like the metaphysical training part. Can you tell me a little bit more about that. I think I might need that. <laughs> so, you know, he used to, you know, and maybe I have, yeah, hold on one second. You know, so there's these, like, I'd say probing questions. This is how we start by analyzing ourselves. And then we get out of the mind and it moves into our actual spirit, our subconscious. Simple questions. We usually operate in a dominant thought field in this field of this level of consciousness where we're present, whether in, there are only so many ideas and solutions to certain challenges in this level that you will even come to you. It's not until you can elevate where you see a bigger, bigger picture. You know, a really good analogy is like someone cuts you off and you're at a lower level. It's war. They did it on purpose. Fuck you. You know, you start chasing them, honking, taking pictures of their license plate, right? But as you ascend, like, oh, shoot, that person must be in a hurry. You ascend higher. Oh, I don't think they really saw me. Ascend higher. They must be going through something. I know they didn't mean to do that on purpose. Higher. They're definitely going through something. I can feel it. And I'm, I'm I wish them well, you know, and you let them go. So at each level, we have different ways of responding to things and different options available to us. So asking like one of the dominant thought fields is happiness. And there is a thought pattern release sequence in which you go, this one is called, I can't be happy. Some of the questions that you actually sit, it's either true or not true. And uh, that's how we answer. And so number one would be, I want to be optimistic and believe I can be happy with my life, but I am losing hope. So is that a true or not true? It feels normal to me to be unhappy. And you go, no, it's not true. And then you sit in it and you breathe in it. And you're like, oh my God, I default to being unhappy and everything is going to shit and nothing I do. And that's severe. So others of us can answer like, yeah, you know what? It's kind of a mixed bag. Like I'm super happy except for with this relationship with one friend. And we can actually have different levels of consciousness when it comes to a business deal, a business contract, or with a relationship, friendship or relationship, how we feel about a certain trip that we're going to take. So we fluctuate. And this is the thing. We're not always even, and we're not supposed to seek even. We are Richter scales. We are like the weather. And the more that we are able to embrace that and accept that, then we're not so hard with ourselves. I think I just grew up and I think most of us grew up with this like black, white, gray. And it's like, we don't realize that the gray is so much more and the black and white only in certain, no, you cannot go there. That father has been accused of sexual molestation. You can't, that's a, that's a black. You're not going there. White is like, oh yeah, this is great. She's always wonderful. Okay. But that gray, when we come into ourselves, we really, Realize there is not one truth for everyone. We fluctuate in and out of this gray, not tolerable, tolerable, but life is more benign and peaceful when we can operate and fluctuate as life and weather does. So another one was, it doesn't feel like I ever really get to do and have what I want in my life. That was a true for me back in 2004. I wrote, I feel like something is missing. Not sure if it's a person, place, or a thing. And there was more writing beyond that. Because when you take pen to paper, things come out of you that you didn't even know was stored in there. And some of it's very disturbing and some of it will shake your whole foundation. And I call that the time of jackhammering. And this happens quite a bit where you're left to reevaluate everything you thought was true and important to you. This is very important. If we're going to know more about ourselves and this not come out when we have to defend ourselves or when someone just pisses us off for some minor thing, this sort of self-introspection is extremely important. So this is what metaphysical looks like. I know you may think, oh, like UFO religion and, you know, <laughs> all these other woo-woo things. I'm not talking about that. It's based on science. It's ontological philosophy. It's one of three branches under philosophy. So, you know, it's actually a study, a bona fide study in universities and without 
all of the pendulums and not to say that doesn't work, tarot cards and all these other things. These are just tools for those that have the gifts to use them. For me, it's not. I'm a walking antenna as my former teacher called it. You can actually pick up on energy right at that moment and you don't have to say, what is that? And did he really mean that? And did she, uh, I, I think she meant this. It's like, no, it's just let it go and take note and still maneuver properly. But you can only do that when you know yourself. And so I'll read a couple more. I think I might be too alone to feel happiness. I am certain that there is good all around me to experience. Sometimes it seems like a force beyond my control is keeping me from good feelings I deserve. Maybe I have had too many bad experiences in my life to be happy. It feels better to me when friends and family are unhappy like I am. See, so when we start asking these questions, we really understand the obligations we place on others as well. So that's some of the training that we go through and others that I've done would be metaphysics of money. What is our attachment to money? Did our parents say that we can't afford that? It's too expensive. Oh my gosh, over and over again. So we start to say that our kids start to pick it up and we find that we don't have enough. What is enough? Let's define what is enough. And money is just energy. It's just monetary energy. It's a different type of resource. How do we govern that? So I did three parts on that study, nurturing yourself and Hina. What is self-care? Is it bubble baths and dark chocolate and all the things that we want to feel good in that moment? Or is it really self-care, you know, taking a look at where we can create a healthier life in all aspects, including finances, right? We study the seasons, very important. And an apology. What is an apology? Like, what does it mean? What constitutes as an apology? Is the person giving you an apology actually, do they mean it? So how do we train others to actually give a real apology to repair and not do again? So are we going into fascia? of the body and how it has its own consciousness. we It's much more important than what we believed. It's not just muscles, tendons, uh, bones. Uh, we're actually much more than that. This connective tissue that can lock our, our joints and lock our muscles and freeze tendons actually has a storage of emotions. And that's why some of us like the sweet, Swedish, you know, nice. And some of us like the shiatsu, the more pressure. More pressure will allow for compression and release. And sometimes there's emotional release that comes out with that also going to be preparing one on the consciousness of water. There is an amazing woman that can actually ask a question to water, freeze it, and the answer will be in the water. I know it sounds absolutely crazy. We never thought of water like this, but we're pri we're primarily made up of water. How do we store things in our water? Do we store things in our water? How important is water? So yeah, these are some of the things that I'll be you know writing about in the future for my students. I'm excited for those two. Those are my next two. Yeah. <laughs> I did see on your website that you were in the process of writing books and jackhammering. Jackhammering is right. And that's really private. You know, we can have a public life and live a whole private life and no one really knows it. <laughs> so yeah, it's not all glitter and gummy bears and unicorns. It's, uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, very traumatic sometimes. And then, you know, we're human, so we have to process through it and get to the message of what we're trying to be told. So yeah, it's always a progress. <laughs> I love your message. I love all oh. of those very deep questions that you just asked. I know my dad is going to love those questions too. Is there anything that you would like to ask him? You know, it's about the current world. If he could take a look at the world he lived in and the world we live in today, what are the good parts about the old days? And what does he see good as today evolved? I would love for your dad to answer that if he could. That's so beautiful. That is such a deep, amazing on the fly oh, question. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yes. I can't wait to hear what he says too. And my dad really, I feel like does look at life in a very bright way. Like he's always seeing the good in the world. And so he'll have a beautiful answer to that question, I think. Oh, thank you. I, I think that he'll probably be able to point out those really beautiful parts of what was there are some good things today, like all the good things that are happening now. I, I look forward to his response. <laughs> Yay, me too. Okay, I love that. Thank you. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, you've met a titan named Michelle, and Michelle is usually a very feminine and sexy name, but she's like a gallant warrior that can rise to the occasion. And if she has to be tested, she's there to respond. As she would say, I don't, I don't take shit from nobody. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that when you live a life where you've experienced some hardships and things to overcome, she lost her father when she was very young. 
You have to be able to stand up for yourself. You know what Marvin would say, my dad. You got to be able to stand on your own two feet. You've got to be able to understand that the world is not necessarily always a friendly place. And you have to be able to defend yourself and stand up for yourself and be able to be dedicated and loyal to your country. My dad was also dedicated and loyal to his family. And he had principles that were always worth fighting for. Michelle reminds me of that same boldness where she's willing to fight hard for what she believes in. But there's a softer side. She wants to be able to also study human nature, study people that have thoughts of, of how the consciousness works. She kind of flip-flopped a little bit on whether she really believes in God. But deep down, I think her conscience does. But she uh, wants to be able to rely on herself more than anything. And uh, that inner fortitude is what really makes her tick. And I, I can appreciate that. Uh, obviously, you know that I believe that we're part of a much a bigger story than just the human race. But developing the human race, developing our wisdom, wanting to get along with people and seeing humanity be able to evolve where it becomes more sensitive to everyone around them, where we don't have to have this threat of war and murder and rape and, and bullying and all kinds of terrible things that can go on in this world. And uh, poor Michelle, she thinks that we had it easier growing up. We didn't. Those things happened in my time growing up, just as it happens in, in your time growing up or your children's growing up. This has been around like this for thousands of years, but there are so many intellectual and good people and people that really reach out to help other people. But unfortunately, the headlines are always uh, the people that are screwing up and the terrible things that are out there in the world, because that's what sells stories. Usually what sells stories is the obscure and devastation. And But there's a lot of good people out there in all generations. What's been wonderful and my growing up also is that we see the evolution of technology. We see the evolution of how things can improve, where there are so many more things that we can do. The communication age has just been unbelievable, where we're able to communicate all around the world like it's right next door. I have children that are living on the other side of the world, and I can see them and talk to them on the phone like uh, without wavering a blink. It's just incredible. Of course, I like the real thing. I like to be able to hug and kiss them. And uh, it's not easy to do that if you're 12,000 miles away or 6,000, I guess it's closer to six or 7,000 miles away. So uh, I think the whole world is only 24,000 miles. So uh, you're talking about, we really live on a very small planet. And yet you would think that at this stage of the game with all, all the improvements in the world that we should be able to get along a little bit better than we do. And the, and the fighting and the wars have gone on every couple of years, my entire life. And yet my mom and dad told me the same thing about their lives, that there's been war and treachery their whole lives, and that you always got to keep your guard up. You always got to be careful with your children and your children's children. That advice, Michelle, you would give to your students as well, that we've got to be able to defend ourselves. And sometimes a good defense is also a good offense, where you have to be able to take control of the situation if you are attacked. I'd like my uh, grandchildren of Rena's uh, to have some self-defense lessons because they're so sweet. They're so nice. Unfortunately, sometimes people try to take advantage of people when they are too nice or they are a little naive when it comes to what the real world is about. But I think that uh, you've been given a gift from God and that it's not hypocritical for him to exist and for you to exist in, in a manner where you can mature and grow and help other people. And part of it is, again, where you can stand up and be counted. And I think that that's also part of God's message, that we should be able to stand up and be counted and be able to show that, that even though we have strength, that we also have compassion and humility as well. That's a pretty good summary, Boyne. How's that? Wow. Okay. I think that's it. I like it. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. <laughs> I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.